Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to PhoenixConcussionRecovery.com podcast along with Concussion Talk podcast. I'm here with Nick Mercer again. We're going to be doing a three-part series on chronic pain. Um, We want to also talk about our sponsor, so Head Check Health bridges gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. Join organizations like the Canadian Football League, Trek Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada, who rely on HeadCheck to improve communication and optimize care. Visit HeadCheckHealth.com for more information. And again, welcome back to our three-part series. I apologize for the delay. We've been a little bit wrapped up in coronavirus recently, but uh, we'll be able to roll out a couple of these to you. And they'll be run just like an educational session for patients. So make sure you listen to them in order and you check back frequently. Thanks so much. So this is going to be part one, an introduction to chronic pain. So we're going to be talking about what is the science behind pain and how does our brain perceive pain as information. Um, the, The coursework is therapeutic neuroscience education. And all of this information comes from uh, Adrian Lowe and Dr. Mosley's work in chronic pain. So this is all well-established information over the last couple decades that I just wanted to share with our viewers because a lot of people with head injuries um, and other people in general are suffering from chronic pain and knowledge is power and there's a lot we can actually do to lower the pain that we're experiencing just with information. Um, So we're going to get started and what is fascinating as an introduction and we'll talk about this in each of the three podcasts, but there are more than 400 nerves in the human body. And if you were to lay them all end to end, they're more than 45 miles long. So just think about that as we talk through how big our nervous system is and how many pieces have to work together for everything to work properly. There's 100 billion neurons in the human brain. And what is fascinating for our U.S. listeners is that 90% of all opioids used in the world are prescribed in the United States of America. So in America, this is a much bigger problem than it is for some of our listeners in other countries. But 90% of all of these drugs used in the entire world are used in the U.S., which should be telling the U.S. listeners something. Other countries have 
better ways of handling pain than just medication. And so that alone should tell you that you should be able to do this at home as well, or see your healthcare provider who specializes in chronic pain to get more information. Our brain produces chemicals that are 800 times more powerful than the strongest opioid. So if you do this information properly, you actually can produce medication for yourself. Your endocrine system can create chemicals that are 800 times stronger than any opioid that your doctor could ever prescribe you. So what is pain? Pain is 100% a perception by your brain. So when I was in school, we learned that there are pain nerves, there are pain receptor sites in our body, and there are pain receptor areas in our brain. But what they've actually been able to prove over time is that is 100% false. So anytime that we perceive pain in our body, whether it's a good perception or a bad perception, it is a construct of our brain. It's information coming from your body to your brain saying something is happening. And in chronic pain, your brain will misinterpret the something is happening message as danger, danger, danger. I always like to talk to my patients about the fact that pain is very important. So we don't want to be somebody who doesn't perceive any pain. Pain means something is wrong when it's an acute thing. If I touch fire, I want to know I touched fire. If I have an attack in the bottom of my foot, I want to know I have a tack in the bottom of my foot, right? We're not talking about that kind of pain. We're talking about this lingering pain that lasts for years that doesn't have any real association with tissue damage. So people learn in chronic pain that movement equals pain. And the more that you stop moving, the more sensitized your nervous system will actually become. What we have to teach ourselves and our patients is that motion lotion. The more that we move, the more information our brain gets that's positive, the more our joints are lubricated, the more we have endurance, and the less our pain will be. Why did this happen to me? So if you're listening and you've had chronic neck pain or chronic shoulder pain or back pain, maybe you were in a motor vehicle accident five years ago and you still feel pain like it happened yesterday, why did this happen to me if it's abnormal? Well, rest assured that you're not weird and you're not crazy. 25% of all people who have an acute injury will end up in the chronic pain cycle. So a quarter of all people who sprain their ankle, a quarter of all people in a, in a car accident with a back injury, a quarter of all people with a head injury are going to fall into this chronic pain cycle, this misinformation cycle. Your nervous system becomes hyper aware and hypersensitive. So your brain is saying, there's something wrong down there. I'm getting all this information. I want to know more. And it hypersensitizes your nervous system so that you send as much information as possible to your brain. Usually the trigger is going to be a fear component, which is why I think my patient population falls more into this chronic pain bucket because my people also have head injuries. So the fear component could be a loss of a job. I've had this injury before and I know it was horrible and it's going to be horrible again. So fear of pain itself. Loss of status in sport. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my starting spot. I'm afraid I'm going to re-injure my back. I don't ever want to bend over like that again because the last time I did, I had this excruciating pain. So this fear component in catastrophizing seems to be a primary generator for who travels into the healthy bracket and who travels into the chronic pain bracket. And now at this point, a patient will say, okay, that sounds great, but I have tissue damage. My MRI says that I have a problem with my disc or I have severe arthritis in my joint. And sometimes with arthritis, you do need surgery to decompress that area and open up movement. 
sometimes for those patients, they've already had that surgery and their pain has lingered for absolutely no reason after. But more often, especially in those of you who've been in motor vehicle accidents or had a slip and fall, the tissue damage that you see on your MRI or your X-ray is actually quite minimal and probably normal for most people. And that's sort of a disconnect that we get because in medicine, we want to explain your pain. So we tell you, oh, your pain is coming because you have a bad disc at L4. But the reality is a lot of us have bad discs at L4 and we have absolutely no pain whatsoever. So the medical system kind of sets you up to believe that your pain is coming from this horrible injury that might actually not be that horrible. So we're going to talk about the fact that there's no correlation in science between tissue damage and pain. So you can have positive findings on imaging, but you might have no pain at all. So they did all these studies. A third of all people who get an MRI of their shoulder, but they are pain-free over the age of 30, will have a positive finding on their MRI. So again, pain-free people over the age of 30, one-third will actually have positive imaging on our MRI. And we already know this because we know that we want to do conservative treatment for six weeks before we do shoulder surgery to see if we can right the ship. Two-thirds of all people over 70 are going to have a positive finding on an MRI, pain-free. After a rotator cuff repair, 90% of people still have abnormal signaling on their MRI. After the repair, pain-free, 20% still had edema in the tissues of the joint. There's no correlation between arthritis and pain. They did all these studies and they found that the number one population seeking treatment for low back pain is actually 30 years old to 55 years old. But if you were to look at a graph of how arthritis works, the arthritis is increasing as your age increases. But in fact, people in that middle window are the ones seeking treatment the most. They did studies on people with knee pain, uh, with the absence of knee pain. They did MRIs on their knees, and they found that 25 to 50% of people with no pain had arthritic changes on their MRIs. So why is one person not able to walk and they're hobbling with this same level of damage as somebody who's completely pain-free? And that sort of tells us, okay, there is this brain-body connection where the brain is getting misinformation and telling us we have this terrible problem that we might not actually have. Um, for most of our listeners who have had some sort of whiplash injury, whether from a fall or a motor vehicle accident, listen into these statistics because these are important for you. There is no correlation between a disc bulge or a herniation and pain. So they screened asymptomatic people, no pain, and they found that 40% of them had positive findings on their MRI. So just because you have a disc herniation does not mean that you have to suffer in pain for the rest of your life. Furthermore, they did long-term studies on people with disc herniations, and 50% of that herniation will reabsorb in the first six weeks. And in longer studies, they found that by one year, that disc had 100% reabsorbed. So that tells me, okay, maybe my early pain that first six weeks was because I had that disc herniation. But now I'm three years out, and my back hurts exactly the same, if not more. Why is that? The disc herniation itself is actually already gone but the system is in cycle. Yeah. So so what, what exactly is herniation? Like, what, how it happens? What chemical is released that needs to, be reabsorbed, needs to be reabsorbed? So the disc itself, so in between each segment in our spine, yeah. we have a little shock absorber. Yeah. 
And that little shock absorber can get squeezed out. And sometimes they can burst and leak, and that's a bigger problem. But um, usually what happens, especially in whiplash or 40% of all people who have no pain, the little disc will leak its way out a little bit. And so that can put pressure on nerves. It can put pressure on your um, fluid that goes up and down your spinal cord. And so that can cause symptoms early on. But in 40%, it's actually not going to cause symptoms at all. So it seems to be the sensitization and the swelling that happens in the area from the acute trauma that triggers the pain. And then in most people, 75%, that pain goes away. Um, And then in that 25% of chronic pain people, it lingers for a very long time until we do something to stop it. Right. So, okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, What's also interesting is um, Adrian talks a lot about asking the patient, when was your MRI done? So if your MRI was done in the morning, your disc herniation on MRI is going to look 20% worse than if you had done it at the end of the day after work. So people put a lot of stock in this imaging, and it is important, especially if your provider decides you need surgery or something like that, or it's dangerous and it's actually pressing on the nerve and causing motor control problems. But for the average person that we see, the, the findings on the MRI do not actually explain the pain that they're feeling a year and more out because that disc has reabsorbed by the one year mark. So at this point, a patient is usually pretty floored, maybe upset, right? (laughs) But we're not invalidating how you feel. In fact, the reason that you're in the system, the the situation that you're in is because we failed you early on. So Adrian Lowe talks a lot about apologizing to the patient and saying, I'm so sorry this has happened to you. I'm sorry that we failed you, but now we're gonna target this area in a different way and we're gonna right the ship. We're gonna fix this problem. So is it all in your head? Yes, but no. You're not crazy. You're not making it up. You're not malingering. Your nervous system is playing tricks on you. And then we're going to explain to you why this is happening. And knowledge is power. So they did studies where a person could barely move. They did one session of education. They retested the patient. And the patient had a significant change in range of motion. They put people in MRI tubes that are fancy. They're called fMRIs, and they can actually check the blood flow to different areas of our brain. And they actually were able to show that after just education, no manual therapy, no exercise, no nothing, after education alone, there were changes in your brain based on those fMRI studies after education. I mean, amazing. So knowledge is power. We want to reframe the way we think about pain. We always want to start up our daily exercise. We want to tease it, touch it, nudge it. If you have been in pain for two or three years and your brain has learned movement equals pain, you can't go out for a two-mile run. I want you to start at daily exercise 10 minutes at 100 beats per minute. That's basically nothing. That's walking around the block like you're walking an old dog. And you want to find out that you had no pain afterwards or you had very minimal pain afterwards. And that's a positive association with movement. And that starts to right the ship. So 100 beats per minute or a 4 out of 10 effort, almost nothing. You're not breathing heavy. You just start to move a little bit in a safe way. And then I'm going to teach you at the end of podcast one, body scans. So we want to learn to identify the misinformation. And then we're going to take action and we're going to do something about it. And that, again, is going to start to calm down our nervous system. So because this is a podcast, you can't see this little picture, which is awesome. But I'm I'll sorry. Post it. I'll post it. On my... Oh, perfect. You can post the picture yeah, then. Yeah. So um, all of our nerves in our body have electricity. And they're constantly firing. There's always a firing rate. There's always electricity in the socket. When you go to plug in the lamp, boom, it's right there, right? 
So the way our body works is we have a resting rate, something big happens, boom, a big spike, the nerve sends an impulse up to your spinal cord and eventually to your brain. So that's normal. What happens in chronic pain is that resting firing rate elevates. So the nerve now is resting at 80% more activity than it normally would have. That leaves very little room for something to happen. So normal system, low firing rate, a lot has to happen in order for that spike to occur and information to go to our spinal cord. Chronic pain system, high resting rate, small window for activities before our brain gets information. That's because our nervous system becomes hypersensitized because my brain wants to know more. So what I learned in school was that we had sodium and calcium channels and things only occurred for different reasons and our pain nerves sent a pain information up to our spine. What we know now is that anything can trigger this response and the exact same information will go to your brain. So if you have chronic pain and you're listening, this is gonna really resonate with you. When I'm hot or I'm cold, my pain is worse. When I'm feeling stressed or I'm bored, when my pain is the thing I'm thinking about the most, I'm gonna feel more pain. If I'm moving in a new but safe way, let's say I had an injury, I was in a cast, and now I've got some restrictions, right? But I'm also, my brain has forgotten those movements in the joint, and so they're scary to my brain. This is new information. So it's movement in a safe but new way. Immune system responses. People with chronic pain, when they start to get sick, they'll feel their illness coming on in the skin in that area. Oh, my back is starting to hurt. I know when my, when my skin on my back hurts, I know I'm going to get sick. I know that's my first sign. And it's because there's that very little window for activity. So when I start to get more immune chemicals going through my body, the areas where I feel chronic pain are going to tell me first. And then, of course, changes in blood flow. So we have little ion channels that sit on our nerves and all these different things send the exact same impulse and my brain decides if it's feeling pain, if it's feeling hot or cold or stressed. In chronic pain, it can't tell the difference. So we've got patients who break their arm, they have a little bit of nerve damage, and now every time it's cold and cold air brushes past their arm, they have pain in their arm. They're not feeling the cold weather, they're feeling pain. So that threshold is lower, any of these chemicals can fire that nervous system and it sends that image up to my brain. So what does that mean for you when it's hot or cold, when you're stressed or bored, when you're moving in a new but safe way, if you're sick or getting sick, your brain is gonna get the information from the sensitive areas first and all your brain is getting is danger, danger, danger and you perceive that as pain. So what I want you to start with, so you've listened to this whole long podcast and you're like, well, what am I gonna do with all this, right? So all I want you to do until you tune into the second one is I want you to teach two people about chronic pain. So I want you to go home and I want you to talk to your mom. It's Mother's Day today while we're recording this. Maybe you don't like your mom, so maybe you talk to your best friend. Maybe you talk to your landlord. I don't know. But pick two people and I want you to teach them about chronic pain because we know from a lot of research that teaching someone about something helps it cement inside of your own head. And then I want you to do an action. So when you feel, quote unquote, pain, I want you to no longer use the word pain to describe that sensation. My neck feels sore. My neck feels stiff. I think maybe I slept wrong and I've got a little bit of sensation on the right side of my neck. Or maybe I'm feeling cold today. I want you to use some other word other than pain. And then I want you to do a stop and think. 
So let's say you're feeling what you think is pain. If you are sitting at your desk the way I always am, slumped over like a fool, and you sit up nice and straight, and that sensation goes away, that means your brain was getting good information. You were sitting wrong, you were putting pressure on your system, your brain told you to knock it off, you sat up, your pain went away, that was good information. You reward yourself for that. If you think, am I hot or cold, and I make a change and my pain goes away, that was not pain, that was misinformation. If you think, am I stressed, bored, or emotional, and you do something to stop that, like a meditation, a five-by-five five breathing, and your pain decreases, that was not pain. That was misinformation. Am I moving but in a safe way? So you'll say to yourself, sore but safe. Or you'll think to yourself, reason through it. Okay, my doctor told me to go for a 10-minute walk. I'm okay to do this. There's nothing wrong with my tissue. Tissue damage doesn't equal pain. I'm okay. And your pain goes down. That wasn't pain. That wasn't danger. That was misinformation. So the actions are a five-by-five five breathing. So you stop and think, am I really feeling pain? Am I feeling something else? Take five breaths, breathing in for five seconds, breathing out for five seconds, five times. If your pain has decreased, even if it's a 0.5 out of 10, you went from a six to a five and a half, that's a positive experience. That wasn't really pain. If you meditate or you use Breathe a Color or a body scan, and there's so many YouTubes and Calm apps and Headspace, there's so many things you could do if you can't do this on your own. If you do one of those things and your pain decreases, that wasn't pain. That was information. Go for a walk, have a sip of water, my pain decreases, that wasn't pain in the first place, right? So you're going to stop, you're going to think, you're going to do an action, you're going to reassess. If your pain decreases, then you're going to tell your brain, okay, this is what was really going on, and that will start to calm the nervous system back down. Your brain will start to produce those 800 times more powerful than any opioid on the planet chemicals, and you'll start to find that your nervous system relaxes a little bit. It's not going to be overnight. If you've been in pain for five years, you're not going to go one day with this new education and your pain is magically reduced, right? So it's going to be a stepwise process and you're going to reward yourself every time you do it right and you're going to treat yourself with grace and kindness every time you do it wrong. And as long as you're trying and as long as you're thinking about it, your nervous system is starting to learn new behaviors. So that's step one and I want you to go out and practice that. I want you to talk to your healthcare providers. I want you to talk to your physical therapists. Make sure that you're not only getting medical information from a podcast. But I want to make sure that you guys know to ask about this information because it's a life changer and a game changer and it can help us reduce some of these opioid addictions that we're especially dealing with in the United States. Thanks so much. Um, and Nick, any questions on part one? Uh, I, I thought I had two questions, but they've turned into one about the uh, exercise and the morning. The uh, MRIs are worse in the, in the morning than they are in the afternoon. Is that because we're the snowflake fluids are more active in the afternoon when we get moving more? It's because you so your um, discs rehydrate overnight while you're sleeping. Yeah. And so in the morning you have the most fluid in your discs that you're going to have oh, all okay. day. Oh. And then as you sit at your desk or you walk or you live your life, they're going to be more compressed. And so there'll be less fluid in there to show on the herniation. Okay. And, and along with that, when you lie flat in an MRI tube on your back, yeah. gravity 
pulls that disc down. So the disc will actually look worse just purely in the supine, in the laying on your back position because of the physics. Because of physics. Because of physics. Yeah. Yeah. So blame that. But, uh, (laughs) I probably get up for something like that in the next next two podcasts, but uh, that's it for questions for me. I think that was just again information is mostly not really questions about the about the information, just taking it all in. So hopefully, when when we record part two and three, I will understand it better, and I mean I know it will. So it's great. Thanks. Thank you. Um, and then should we do the old like where can you find us thing? Oh yeah, yes, yes. We're gonna find you and things. So, so you can find me on at LZ Concussion on Twitter. Um, you can find us on our website phoenixconcussionrecovery.com. All of our podcasts are always on concussiontalk.com uh, with Nick's website, so that's an easy place to find us and all of his other podcasts. And then I have an Instagram account, but go to Nick's instead because he's much better (laughs) than me at Concussion Talk on Instagram. So thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate you tuning in. And the next two will be a little bit easier than than the setup one. (laughs) As always, music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound, www.bensound.com. 